And so after I saw these ones, I just leveled out really slowly and kind of like looked up to not like fully make eye contact. And they were going so slow, just cruising, completely different level than the other fish. And I can tell they were big and there was about six or seven of them. And so in my head, I'm like, do everything Joe told me to. I like had my gun tucked in. I looked away. I counted to probably like three and I looked back over and they were starting to pass me. And he was always. That's Brooke Bass telling her story of pursuing the fish of a lifetime. And you're listening to this Ocean Life podcast. Yeah, now this is Josh Peterson back again with this Ocean Life podcast. It's been uh, way more months than I anticipated of a break, uh, um, but now we're back and it feels good. And I'm so stoked to be back with uh, an episode I've been sitting on for way too long that I've just been so amped to get out and share with the world. Uh, this legend of the water, Brooke Bass, is somebody I had the honor and privilege of meeting in person and spending just a few minutes of water time, maybe an hour of a surf, uh, in Santa Cruz Island, California's Channel Islands, uh, end of summer 2020, uh, talked to her on the podcast just a few weeks later, and I hate to say it, but here we are in March, and I've been lagging hard. So Brooke, thank you. Thank you for your patience. I'm so stoked to be able to share the story. I mean, Brooke's somebody who is so strong in the water in many different disciplines, surfing, diving, boating, diving as in free diving and scuba diving, commercial diver. I mean, you know, a knowledge of the water on top and down below. It's so fun to, to have had an hour of talking with Brooke, but also seeing her firsthand shredding waves and uh, just enjoying, just, I mean, just being in the water, this positive influence. So a lot of great stories around fish and friends and mentors. There's so many great things here. So thanks to Brooke for her patience of <laughs> sticking with me for the past few months. Thanks to everybody for picking this episode up, still following the podcast. Uh, I'm going to get back on a routine here. Might not be jamming them out once every week, but definitely going to get back. And I got a couple others teed up that uh, you're going to like, I think. So thanks again for being here as always. I hope everybody's safe and sane and getting their time in the water. And let's get in now to the ocean life of Brooke Bass. All right, Brooke. Well, thanks for making time to be on the podcast today. My pleasure. I'm so stoked. You know, what's cool is I have, uh, you're like number uh, 120, 120-something-eighth-ish. And of all those people, I bet there's been less than 10 I've actually met in person because it's like, you know, everybody's all over the place. But I'm so stoked because I don't know you in person, but I got a chance to surf with you at Santa Cruz Island a few weeks back. I did. That was. That was really nice to be able to meet you before this. Wow, it was rad. Um, and it was, you were ripping waves. I mean, you on my, got... On my surf tag soft top? Yeah, that's the right <laughs> board, man. It's like, well, when you're on a boat, and I, like, I, I'm a fan of soft tops or stuff like that because you got to put it in a bag and strap it so it doesn't get ding on the boat versus a soft top. You just chuck it on there. You don't care. No, I love that thing. If it's small out, it's my go-to board. Yeah, it's just, yeah. you, it's just a, you, you never have a bad session because you you're not taking yourself seriously. Yeah. So, yeah. It's good. It's a good call. It kind of brings you down a notch, but yeah, I saw you shredding waves. So you had a nice session that day. <laughs> it was fun. Well, a couple of days. We bumped out, bumped, we bumped into a couple of days out there. We got good weather out there. We were lucky. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was rad. Now, I mean, so surfing one thing um, and I'm going to launch into so many different things, but what I just saw 
thanks to Instagram, social media being this double-edged sword that we all kind of love and hate. You also just recently, as, as in like this past weekend before we spoke here, uh, we're on a relay team for the Catalina Paddle, Catalina 2. It was a Newport. It was it? from the, uh, Two Harbors to Manhattan Beach Pier. Yeah, yeah. So it's like the annual Catalina Classic. But this year, what, they allowed relay teams in there? They did. Well, because technically they couldn't have the actual Classic because of COVID. So there was kind of an underground uh, paddle that they did with a lot of the guys that usually do it. And so no one's really has, well, a lot of people haven't been training because they don't have, you know, the normal training groups that they usually do. And a few of the guys are like, yeah, let's do a relay. And so we used my boat as an escort boat and did the relay. And then I got to hop on for a mini leg of it. I'll say a toe of it. Cause it was about <laughs> five minutes uh, and it was really fun. It was a really good day. Uh, relays. Never, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, never done that uh, that Catalina Classic before. Just as an escort boat, I've done the outrigger yeah. canoe races. I've uh, been an escort boat for canoe races, but I haven't done that one, and it was fun because I had my friends on board, and they crushed it, and it was just a really good day. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, and you got you actually got on the board too. Like, what's like an eighteen footer? Like, I saw a picture of you on Instagram, and like this thing is. <laughs> I, mean, I have an 18 footer, so I know, but like, you're just like, whoa, versus it's not like your normal soft top surfboard. This is a big giant vessel. It's an, I guess it's called an unlimited board and yeah, it's yeah. 18 feet and it's really squirrely. Like I've ridden, I've, <laughs> I've paddled on the stock prone paddle boards before and they're a little bit wiggly, but you, you know, you, you don't fall off of them. And this thing I got on and immediately I was like, whoa, it's felt so jiggly. <laughs> yeah. So how was the conditions for the crossing? It was ended up being so good. I was really worried the whole week uh, before then, the just in the channel, uh, There's there was so much wind. I mean, everyone that lives down here knows that there's been an unusual amount of wind this year. And uh, I made, I told the boys, I'm like, we need to leave Friday morning instead of afternoon because it's going to get up to, to, you know, 15, 20 knots in the afternoon. So we left that Friday morning and it was supposed to blow really bad overnight and I don't know if it did while we were sleeping, but it uh, it was just glassy and perfect the whole way. Oh, Tiny bump in the morning, and then the rest of the time the sun came out, and it was glassy. Yeah. So it was oh, really nice. That's so rad. Yeah, I have. That's like the one, being a prone paddle guy, it's one race I haven't done. I kind of need to. Um, but there's horror stories of the wind the wrong way and all kinds of stuff at the end of that race. In the last few years, it's been challenging. So that's rad to hear you guys got a good day. I was worried that there was going to be wind out of the Northeast, a South yeah. swell. And I'm like, Oh my God, what are these guys going to do? <laughs> and your boat, like, let's talk about that. Like I, I love, like I saw, I don't know how long I've been following you on Instagram. Probably not that long. Um, but I think I kind of started maybe when I saw this post pop up and you're like, my new baby's here. And it's like this super sick, like one of my dream boats, like your boat. So tell us what it is. Tell us leading up to it, how long you've wanted this boat. Just talk about all that. I love it so much. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's a 20 foot rigid inflatable hull boat. So I basically tell people if they don't know what that is, it looks like a little mini Navy SEAL boat and it's just bad fucking ass. Like it's, uh, I don't know how else to describe it. Um, I, what was it? What was Just talk about it. Like how how long did you want this thing? I bet you wanted it for a long time. I've wanted a boat for a very long time, probably 
at least 15 years. And I never thought I would have one in the near, like any time in the near future. And I got on a job, which I guess we'll talk about later in my, in the, when we talk about work, um, and decided to just throw down and buy a boat. Uh, and one of my other buddies that I dive with a lot, Clark McNulty, he had left for Australia um, a few years before that for a couple of years and had an 18 foot uh, rib. Rib is the short for rigid inflatable, rigid hull inflatable boat. And he, I begged and begged him, like, let me take care of it. Let me take care of it for you while you're gone. And Foster parent. <laughs> totally. So he let me take care of it while he was uh, away in Australia for two years. And I just loved it. They're wow. so easy. They're so low maintenance. I'm a smaller human with, you know, I don't, I love, I'm really confident underwater. I'm not the most confident person driving the boat. I guess I shouldn't say that because technically I have my captain's license, but I, it's just, they're really easy and they're just hardy little boats um, and they can handle weather. Yeah. So I got mine, yeah, almost two years ago now. Uh, wow. I have, yeah. I what love was it. it like? I mean, like the day you pulled up, you dropped the money, you ordered it, you did whatever. And then the day came when you actually like hooked it up to your truck, or your car, and you're like, home. <laughs> like freaking out. Like, yeah. <laughs> I've never been more nervous driving on the freeway with that thing from San Diego up to San Pedro. Uh, 20 foot or two. That's some room. That thing's burly. It's not like a 15 footer. I mean, like that thing can handle some stuff, I bet. It can. It looks small in photos, but I've had me four guys four loads of spearfishing gear kill bag and then everything from that to you know four guys an 18 foot unlimited you know paddle board i've had me five or six guys and camera gear um it can it, it works out so rad that's so rad so where do you keep that is that like in your driveway I wish it's, I keep it at Cabrillo dry boat storage in San Pedro. So it stays on its trailer. And then in with your monthly rent, they hoist it in the water for you as many times as you want. Like three different hoists at that place. Yeah. So then what's your go-to? I mean, we're kind of morphing all around, but like, so you're, you just basically roll down. You're like, Hey, can we throw my boat in the water? And then you go. So where's your stomping grounds day to day, like for you down in Southern California? That totally depends on what we're totally depends on the conditions and what we're going for. I usually take my boat uh, out to Catalina. I have just with my, uh, my gas tank, I have range from going all the way from the East end, all the way in the backside, basically circumventing the island and then getting back with one taking gas. So that's that's kind of good too. But it's easy to trailer. I've trailered it up to Channel Islands Harbor, launched out of there, got to got to Anacapa, then trailed it, trailed it, trailered it down to San Diego, Dana Point. Yeah, everywhere. So mobile. It's so easy on gas, on the vehicle, on land, towing it, and then on the water. I mean, it's like for you to go out, circumnavigate Catalina, and come back on a tank of gas. Like that's incredible. It's nice, and yeah. it's so easy to trailer. I have a Toyota Tacoma, and it doesn't even feel like I'm you know it's back there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so rad. Jeez. All right, so you get the sick boat. You just used it this weekend to do pretty rad Catalina Crossing. And every time I'm looking like a check on Instagram, like you're always doing something pretty rad and like you had this cool Catalina trip with friends a few weeks back. I'm not stalking, I'm just like <laughs> remember I remember things. So 
So like, give us the high level of just your, the fun part of your ocean life. We'll get into like the serious work part later, but I mean, we're already talking about a few things here, but talk about like the focus on the spearfishing thing. Like that's a big part of your life and it has been for a while. So maybe rewind us like where, where'd that all come from? how did you get started in the whole spearing world? That is actually the most recent ocean activity mm. that I started doing probably like six, maybe seven years, but full on the last four, I think. I don't need, I have to look at a it'll calendar. I can't together, even, yeah, yeah. it all blends together. Uh, and what was, hold on, what am I <laughs> supposed to answer? So spearfishing, like specifically, like you've been in the water forever. I mean, when, when how did you get all amped on it? Cause you're full on full bore right now. So, my first ocean passion was surfing. And after I turned around the time of when I was 30, I was having some back issues and surfing was just ruining my back and to where I couldn't like walk the next day sometimes, but I still had to get some ocean adventure in. And I did have a pole spear that I would take with me down to Baja when we went on surf trips and just like shoot a bunch of little fish, take them to the restaurants and cook us up, cook fish up for us. And then out here, um, I'm in Manhattan Beach. I'd go out before I even knew what the fishing regulations were and would just <laughs> shoot some stuff and bring it back. Luckily, I didn't get caught. And then I met, you know, some of the guys around here that also you know, scuba dive and are kind of in the, you know, the ocean scene and got more dialed into that. And then I just, I got hooked. And then once I'm hooked, it's like full on. Hook, line and sinker. Exactly. <laughs> so what was it like you're, so you're surfing, you've been growing up in the water, back hurts. You're like, I'm going to try something different, but there's totally different aspect, right? Like riding waves is insane. It's meditative. It's great. Being underwater is similar, but also different in its own way. So what was it that just totally grabbed you about spearfishing and being underwater like that? Well, I already loved being underwater I, from my commercial diving work. And I got certified to scuba dive when I was 14, I think. Um, so I already knew like my, my, everything I do revolves around the ocean. Yeah. Um, and it just was another opportunity to enjoy that and get, have the adrenaline rush. Like I'm full ADHD and I'm not good at, you know, just anything boring. I need like excitement and change. And that's one of the things about the ocean is that you can go to the same spot every single day and it's always different. So yeah. it, it always is changing. There's like same thing with surfing. Like you go out in the same spot every single day and it's never the same. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I mean, that I, I totally get that. And it resonates with me too, being like, I've never laid myself as ADHD. I'm, I call myself OCD, <laughs> probably the same thing. But yeah, it's that's the one thing about like spearfishing and freediving in general. Like I have a favorite kelp bed. It's not special by any means other than that it's like this right by my house. But it's so rad to walk, to see it change day to day to day from the conditions, the fish, the whole thing, you know. And so when you started going out, I mean, at some point you got – there's being underwater, which you have spent many years doing with commercial diving and you're scuba diving when you're 14, but the hunt part, talk about that, like how that sucked you in as well. So I think 
I like, I, I guess I'd say I'm like pretty ambitious and I like a challenge and I'm not the most patient human with certain things. <laughs> and it really, it had to really teach me how to, you know, mentally focus and bring my heart rate down and then be really patient underwater. And I think, I don't know if I necessarily like consciously enjoyed that, but I think that's a huge part of that. And then, you know, you're all, you're usually super mellow and cruising around. And then once you shoot a fish, it's like, boom, your adrenaline goes. And that's when the excitement happens. And obviously I like that part. You can let it back out once that oh, happens. Yeah. yeah. But you, you kind of used it as like uh, tempering your own sort of ADHD, your own excitement, you know? And uh, so, but then, and I, I get that because remember when we, when we saw you at Ch- in Sankers Island a couple weeks back, I was like, hey, so what are you guys up to? You know, you're like, well, we're going to surf and then I'm going to go shoot. I want to shoot. Your goal was to shoot. <laughs> a sea bass and a yelltail. And I'm thinking, shit, if I even see one of those, I'll be stoked. If I get a shot off, I'll be like so stoked. If I even pull one to the boat, I'll be like other level. You're like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm I'm going to get one of each, you know? And I, so I love that. So I get what you're saying about just like the focus and you're, you're, you're driven to get that stuff done. <laughs> I love it. Unfortunately that didn't happen that weekend, but it's okay. <laughs> a lot of other great things that weekend, the weather and everything. All right. So when you, you made this trans, you're already comfortable in the water from scuba diving. So being underwater was like second nature, but then contrast your life and knowledge of just breathing uh, uh, air, compressed air underwater to the very similar, but different aspect of breathing up, holding your breath and coming down and, you know, and so how is that kind of transition for you? What do you mean, like the the difference between? Yeah, yeah, free diving versus being on scuba and stuff. I mean, was it easy for you, different, or? It it definitely is different. Uh, I know there's like a not a rivalry is the right word, but you know, people that hold their breath are like, oh, scuba diving, or yeah. you know, even scuba divers and commercial divers are like, oh, I'm more hardcore. I dive with air on a helmet versus a regulator. I'm like, I've done it all, and they're all different, and they're all really good for different purposes. Um, I love scuba diving and getting to stay down for a long time and looking at things, but I love free diving and holding your breath because you just feel so much more free. You know, it's just, you don't have a bunch of stuff, you know, hooked on you and you don't feel clunky. You just feel like so free and flowy. I don't know what other yeah. words you describe it. No, it's totally true. Totally true. And I went to kind of the same route. Like I kind of dabbled snorkeling. Like I call it, it's not even free diving with the crappy pole spear as a kid. And then scuba dove, scuba dove for a bunch of years. And then like shed all the gear and started free diving. It's like, whoa, it's totally different. You can't stay down as long. You can't sit there and just look at the small things because you got to go back up. But it is, it's complimentary in that sense, you know? So then when did you kind of, what was your first good fish that you bagged on a, on a breath hold? What was that one? I think it was my first yellowtail. Probably. I shot it on a patty, but I was down there for a while. And I think it was like a solid, like 15 pound yellowtail on a patty. And I got a good holding shot on it. And I was at, you know, I think the fish that I had shot before that were just like calico and uh, sheephead. And yeah, you just, 
you're like, oh my god, I actually shot like a re- a real, you know, yeah. pelagic fish or like a more trophy fish than just easier reef fish. Although calicos are not easy, I have a hard time shooting them still. Oh yeah, they're super fun because they're so freaking wary. You know, they're oh, wily. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they are fun. So you get your yellowtail and then you're just like, oh man, this is like a, from there you're just like hooked. So what do you do like day to day? I mean, you're you're looking at, and you get this great network, which I'd love to get into, like community around you down where you live, where Mm -hmm. I'm guessing you get a lot of intel from people who are kind of seeing fish, heard about fish, et cetera. So like for you, you're going out and what? chasing down the best kind of um intel you have weekend to weekend when you're out looking for fish yes this summer has been a lot different i haven't been spearfishing as much as i usually do partly because of the weather and mm-hmm. covid and uh my work but i usually i'm I, i'm so lucky with the people that i get to go diving with and the people that are willing to give me intel that are you, that's usually hard to get. Yeah. Um, yeah. What was the question? What was Yeah. No, that's totally cool. So you're just basically, when you get, get a tip, you're going. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. like every single day, you know, if I have a week off or I'm always like constantly checking my weather apps, what the swell is doing, what the chlorophyll charts are doing, like messaging friends that have been out, um, nonstop. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Now you also had this pretty insane episode with a 200 pound bluefin tuna almost two years ago. We're getting close to it now. Um, and there's this rad article I just read today that you wrote, um, what's, sorry, what spearfishing magazine? Yeah. Spearing magazine. Yeah. Spearing magazine. So take us through that. Uh, I mean, highlight like you got this insane fish but there's a cool backstory to the whole day of it i mean tell us if you will like how that whole thing went down so just a little backstory on why that day was so special for me i love spearfishing like i don't i don't do it you know to compete against myself or anybody else it's just purely the fun and i really value the time that i get to spend with people that I choose to spend time with on the boat, that's one of the things that's, you know, the best of getting the experience that whole day with your friends, whether you shoot a fish or not. And that day I was on the boat with my spearfishing mentor, Dr. Joe Farlow. And then two of my buddies that were played like a huge role in like the beginning of my spearfishing life, uh, for lack of a better word. And so they were all there that day. And I basically, I did everything when I got the fish, I literally did everything um, Joe had taught me like every, just from every step of the way. And I landed the fish and I wouldn't say he's the most verbally affirmative person, but he was so fucking pumped. It was like, (laughs) it was, it was like the best feeling ever. It was so awesome. And that, that I think was like the most special thing that, you know, the people that I was with, and knowing that, you know, I have had a really good spearfishing mentor, one of the many, and um, I was there with them during that day. Yeah, that is special about spearfishing. It's just like, I've been there too, like where a friend of mine, well, Mike Golder, who you met when we were at San Cruz Island, who's a fishy guy. When we went to San Clemente, San Clemente Island once after Bluefin, 
yeah, I wanted to get one, but I was, everybody was so stoked to see somebody else get one. It's like, it's, you know, it's like this excitement. It's not yours. It is yours. Cause you're there. It's like, it's like a team effort, you know, for something like that. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Like, even if you don't get a fish, if your buddy shoots a fish, you're still so pumped because you know what it feels like. And you know you're going to get some anyway. You got to get yeah. some of the fish. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's so cool. The camaraderie aspect is pretty key. But the the story was cool, and I'd like to, if you wouldn't mind diving into it a little bit, because there's kind of like some certain techniques, and by no means do I know, because I've honestly tried to get in the game for bluefin once, so I don't know the techniques. But l- reading your kind of narrative of when you got in the water at the end of the day, you're cold, you're like kind of over it. Those are uh, long days in your wetsuit. You're like, I don't know if I want to go, but you did, you got in. And all of a sudden there they were, but take us through that. Cause there's certain things you just don't like go swim up to a bluefin and shoot it. There's certain ways you got to act and everything. So kind of describe that whole scenario. So that day, the trip was supposed to get Joe on his cow tuna uh, at the end of the season. He'd been taking people out all season, getting other people on fish. And it was like, okay, hail, Ma- hail Mary last trip. Let's, let's get Joe a fish. So I didn't even think I was going to dive that day. I brought my dive gear, but mm. I was like, nah, if I dive, you know, I'm stoked. If not, I'm just going to help, you know, watch fine fish and drive the boat. Um, Joe got his tuna and then it was like, okay, everyone else, let's, you know, kind of take turns jumping in. And we kept getting on the smaller grade. It's funny saying smaller grade because they were like 60 to 80 pounders. (laughs) Um, And this is after Joe got his fish and they were so spazzy and they Mm. would stay. I was doing like drop after drop after drop and they'd be like flanking me on both sides. And just moving so fast. And I was diving so hard, like punching a dive, staying down, not looking at them, like barely peeking up with my eyes to see if they're, you know, in range. Then like going back up, taking one breath and punching a dive again. Cause they kept staying around me. And like, usually like, I don't have that much experience with bluefin either, but the times and the stories that I've heard, it's like, not necessarily they're going to stay around. And the, the smaller ones kept just staying around and we stayed on them. I don't know. I did a dozen, at least a dozen drops on these things and I couldn't get them close. And it was getting towards the end of the day. Everyone else had already shot a fish and it was, I forgot what the hurricane was coming up. I think it was, there was a hurricane coming up from Baja. And so in addition, we're, we, it was getting really dark and they're like, okay, so after um we after the the smaller grade ones finally went away from us um i i just looked at the guys i'm like can i just try one more time i'm like i can't i'm not gonna feel good going in unless you i just do one more you know find them one more time and they're like okay fine (laughs) and so I was sitting on the back deck. I, had a, I get cold easily. I had a three mil wetsuit on. I hadn't eaten. Like I get hangry also. I hadn't had a snack in a while. I was hungry. I started shivering because it had started raining, um, drizzling. And I'm like, fuck. I'm oh, sorry. I'm like, shoot. I got to try one more time and I have to give it my all. So I'm sitting on the back deck waiting for to hear the the engine stop. And they did. And I look back to the fish finder and I saw the smallest little meatball that we've seen on the fish finder all day from 175 feet. And I was like, dude, there's no way I'm going to be and like in a mid sentence of like, there's, um, there's no way I'm going to be able to get down that 
you know, to those fish, all everyone was like, just dive. And I'm like, Oh my <laughs> God. So I jumped in the water and I'm like, I have to give it my all or else I, I'm going to just regret it. And so I just kicked down to about 45, 50 feet, like counting my kick cycles. And when I was on the way down, they must've seen me and got a little curious and came up. And as I was kicking down, I saw them out of my peripheral vision. I'm like, no fucking way. And so earlier in the day, all the smaller grade fish were just so spazzy and going so fast. And so after I saw these ones, I just leveled out really slowly and kind of like looked up to not like fully make eye contact. And they were going so slow, not like really, really slow, but they were just cruising completely different level than the other fish. And I can tell they were big and there was about six or seven of them. And so in my head, I'm like, do everything Joe told me to. I like had my gun tucked in. I looked away. I counted to probably like three and I looked back over and they were starting to pass me. And he was always, he always taught me, you know, if once fish pass you, they're a little more relaxed. So like if, you know, if they're going slowly and you can get them to pass you, then you can take a good shot on them. And I did that. Um, I felt like I, I almost aimed for like a minute. I was able to aim for so long at it. Wow. And I shot the fish and it just stopped. You know, usually when you shoot tuna, they're like, and you're going to ride. And it stopped. I'm like, what the, what? And I start kicking up and I saw that the shaft wasn't all the way through the fish. I'm like, oh my God. And that made me nervous. One, because I've never dealt with a giant fish before. And two, a lot of the guys have told me, you know, if you shoot them and and you can't tell if you've stoned them or like broken their spine you could just be hitting a nerve and if you you know Mm. move the shaft a little bit the fish will come awake and just freak out yeah and so in my head i'm like oh my god just my wheels are turning like i don't want to lose this thing i don't want to touch the float line i i just didn't know what to do and so i got to the surface and i told the guys i'm like i shot one and they're looking at me like what the float is just sitting there in <laughs> the water. Anything. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, no, I shot one and um, I'm like, but the shaft didn't go all the way sh- through. So Clark was already getting in the water and he swam over to it. And um, he has a lot of experience with big fish. And so I'm like, can you help me please? I just want to get this on the boat. And um, I probably literally was going to cry if the thing didn't get on the boat. So I'm like, just help me. <laughs> And he went over to it and started like really slowly pulling up the float line. So I'm like watching everything he's doing. So next time I know how to handle it and it gets closer and he's like, damn, he's like, you stoned it. And I was still like, so I went, swam back to the boat, got the kill shot gun, um, swam down, put a shot in its head. And then we knew it, it didn't move. So, um, yeah, we knew that we were actually going to get it on the boat. And then I tried to swim it to the boat and it was drowning me. So Clark helped me swim it to the boat. <laughs> so when you saw that thing, so you saw those like six or seven circling and you're like, okay, these things are mellow. You're like, okay, go through your checklist. You're like fully like time stood still, I'm guessing those times. Oh, yeah. like when You don't even think about your breath. Like no, you're just like, you're there. You're what in this did like you full think? zone full zone, which is so rad about that. Like it, that's one of the aspects of spearfish. I love so much where time it's like surfing, like getting a really good wave time absolutely ceases to matter. But in the back of your mind, did you size that fish, those fish when they're swimming by you? Like, Oh, that's 80 pounds or that's, or did you even mm. think about the size range? I knew they were really big because I, I mean, I've seen by that time I had seen like different guys with different size fish and like everyone was yeah. starting to get the cows 
And they were a significant size larger than the ones that were earlier in the day that um, one of the other guys on the boat got, um, like an 80 pounder. Like you could definitely yeah. tell the difference. So I knew they were big, but I didn't know how big. Wow. Um, and there wasn't like the, the smaller ones during the, the day, there were like a school of like a hundred to 200, just like flanking me fast on each side. These ones were just like, yeah. it's a wolf pack just cruising. Wow. Fully different type of game right there. So oh, yeah. you shot it, stoned it. So where did it hit? Like, and what did it get a nerve or just like, how did it sh- chill that fish out? I just say the stars aligned that day and I broke its spine. Wow. <laughs> The, we have pictures of it. The um, we left. Do we? No, we took the shaft. I think we cut. Oh, that's what it was. We couldn't get the slip tip out, so I think we cut it. We had to leave it in there. Obviously, we didn't leave yeah. the shaft in because we wouldn't have been able to put it in the kill bag. But the next day, when we were filleting it, um, we have pictures of it. Yeah, just I literally went through and like fully just penetrate broke broke the spine. Just barely. So how like you th- and it like, toggled the on the other side. Yeah, I did. So it went through the spine, but just mm-hmm. barely. Wow, that's crazy. Because you think that's well, your, your spear would have pulled out if it was just like a half an inch lower, just in meat, it w- would have pulled out probably. Oh yeah, because it wouldn't have you know wouldn't yeah. have done the fish, and this thing would right. have been like peace out, and then later, yeah, <laughs> mosquito bite. I'll yeah. see. Ya. <laughs> so, it was dude, really- but how how magnificent was it to see those animals and and ha- and get one up, up close? I mean, you've had you, you know, I'm guessing before then you shot some nice yellowtail, some sea bass, but a 200 pound tuna is a different. It's a different ball game altogether. I mean, what was that experience like just seeing those magnificent animals? It was, it was pretty, it was a trip. I, everything was full slow motion under there. Um, but it's so crazy to see one It's crazy to see like any large sea creature and, and have it, you know, know that it's looking at you. Like I love having, having that feeling of like, you know, another animal's looking at you except a shark, but, uh, you know, these things, they weren't even circling me. They just came by to check out what I was. Yeah, and they obviously were big enough to be like, I'm not scared yeah, of that. Like, so let's, you? yeah, let's check it out. Yeah, it's so neat. Those things are so magnificent. I mean, I have zero like I, my other than seeing a friend shoot a hundred pounder. I can't even imagine, and that was like this jaw. I'm like, oh my god, things huge. I can't even imagine like physically when you feel a 200 pounder. What that's like, you know. And just a few weeks ago, we had bluefin here in Monterey Bay, which is like crazy. But hooked into one. Long story. I'm not going to tell it. Made it short. In the end, fought it for two hours. Whoa. I'm thinking it was 100 pounds because it was about the same grade as my buddy Mike shot, which I felt. I'm like, I'm, I'm calling 100. In the end, and we're we're out gunned up here. We don't fish for bluefin tuna, so we don't have the gear. Like we, us, you know. So in the end, it took our gaff, pulled the gaff out of my buddy's hands. No way. Which, which floats and didn't pop back up. Took that away from us. Came back around. We took another gaff from a friend. Going to line up another gaff shot, and then it's, it had sawed through the leader, and it was and so it took my three dollar Rapala <laughs> X wrap, took our handmade gaff, and this is probably like I'm sure it's chasing bait, eating fish, living a happy life right now. They just like <laughs> totally. see ya. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's such a magnificent animal. You know, that's what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> it is. They're 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 strong. A lot of the other guys and videos that I've seen of my buddies shooting it, they'll have two you know huge three atmosphere floats and they'll yep. take the floats down like full jaws style and then and so gnarly. 
Yeah. So gnarly. It's magnificent. Oh, that's an awesome story. And that's a rad article. And uh, yeah, I mean, what a, I mean, how, but let me ask you this. It's like, even after I lost that tuna, it felt like everything since that I've hooked up to has been absolutely insignificant. And that's not to say I love, I, every fish is special in every way, the whole experience. But after you, you got this 200 pound tuna, fish of a lifetime, there's probably more out there waiting for you. I mean, is there like this kind of um, hangover or like this kind of like uh, despair after you're, you know, back to, you know, chasing 25 pound yellowtail or is it, it's okay. Like you're still, Never. you're amped regardless. I'm yeah, amped. Cool. I, yellowtail are some of my favorite fish to shoot and just see come out of the blue and mahi. And I've been so bummed that I can't, everyone's like, Oh, I want to get two. And I'm like, really? Cause I really want to, I'm like, I don't even want to say this, but I really want to go down to the kelp patties and shoot the mahi and <laughs> yeah. yellow tails that are down there. No, yeah, it doesn't. Oh, yeah. Shooting any fish is exciting. No matter what I would almost say yeah. the bluefin, it was exciting in its own way, but I didn't get to get the full bluefin experience with it, like running away. Oh yeah. And getting to fight it. Next one, next one. (laughs) Next time. And there'll be a next time, I'm sure. (laughs) All right. So, so many rad things. Just, this is like all fun stuff, like fun, recreational. You're diving, you have this grad group of friends, you're out here doing all this stuff. And then, but also like nine to five for you, you're, job is you're also in the water so talk about commercial diving and being a a captain and tell us what you're doing but also like how you came to be where all that came like when did you as a kid i'm guessing as a grom and be a teen or something you realized what your calling was and you've you've pursued it so give us the whole story (laughs) so i've always been the kind of person that kind of knows what i want knows what i like and once i get hooked on something i'm just kind of full on into it and when I was little, I saw the movie The Abyss, James Cameron's oh, yeah. Abyss. And granted, it wasn't, you know, full marine biology, but it was underwater. And I was like, oh, it just just sparked this, like, intrigue of the ocean for me. And then in high school, I started surfing. I got scuba certified. And when I was a senior in high school, my dad and I were driving down the coast looking at colleges and at Santa Barbara City College, there was a commercial diving school. And as soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh my God, I want to do that. Like, I'm done. That's that's what I want to do. And so I started uh, going to the city college and doing the commercial diving school there, the Marine Diving Technology Program, which is probably one of the best commercial diving schools there is. And um, after the first semester, I stopped doing the actual college classes and continued with the commercial diving school. And it was so fun. Um, I'm the academic setting isn't really my strong point, but I'm a really visual learner and hands-on learner. And that's what basically the school was. And then I was really lucky to get a job with a company in Santa Barbara, right out of school and worked on the rigs up and down the coast. Um, And that's how I got into it. Yeah. But did you know, like, cause it's not an easy job. Like somebody might think like, Oh, you scuba dive for a living. That sounds really cool and sexy and fun. You're like, no, like that's a burly, it's a hard, semi-dangerous profession. So did you know kind of the <laughs> rigors of that whole profession? Like when you signed up and got into it? A little bit just from the stories that I heard, but I, it was kind of, 
I grew up with an older brother and all the kids on the street were boys between my age and my brother's age. So I was like used to getting like beat up and just rough housing. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I feel like I'm kind of hardy. So I I knew I could handle it. Um, And I work really well on a team. And so it's, you know, you're always, you're kind of working in a team doing the commercial diving where everyone's, you know, helping each other and, and that kind of stuff. And, uh, like I said, I'm like ADD, so I'm always you're ADHD. So <laughs> it was really nice to have a job where I'm like always moving, and yeah. you know I'm good at like using tools underwater, and I really enjoyed it. I mean, it, yeah. it is gnarly, like some of the conditions that I've dealt with and the emergency situations. Um, but I learned in school that you know you don't have to be a big, you don't necessarily have to be a big burly dude to do the job. You have to be really comfortable in the water, and what comes down to is, you know, not being able to panic during emergency situations, which happen, you know, fairly, fairly often. Yeah. Fairly often. Another, another day at the office. Yeah. I mean, but, but what, what, what do you do? I mean, give us a day to day. Like if you went to work tomorrow, like what, what is commercial diving off of like coast of Southern California and the rigs? What do you do? So I don't work on the rigs anymore. Um, I actually do a whole bunch of random jobs, but the a lot of the commercial diving that I do right now, I deal with all of Chevron's pipes and hoses off of El Segundo and LAX. Um, so there's two berths out there that the tankers hook up to where they on and offload fuel. And um, I'm, yeah, I'm basically like maintaining and doing kind of doing the similar stuff that I did on the rigs out there. Um. So what is that? I mean, th- give, give me the scenario. Like I've been scuba diving. I've done a lot of scientific stuff, but never the hard hat gnarly stuff that you're doing. So just like you're going down with wrenches and gnarly welding yeah. stuff. I mean, what is that like? So we don't, um, a lot of the job that work with Chevron, we don't necessarily have to use any surface supply diving because we don't, that is when you need to um, have communications with topside. So yeah, when you're welding or when you're, you know, having some kind of tool that you need a topside to turn on and off um, here, we don't use any of that stuff, which makes it kind of hard at the same time as you don't have that communication with the service, but we we're pretty confident obviously at what we're doing. Um, a lot of times it's video Chevron's re- really on top of safety. And so we're the hoses that the tankers bring up, um, move around and uh we have to make sure they're not tangled up or there's no debris that um you know when when before the tugs get the um hose to the ship they have to move the hoses around um just to make sure they're not covered in sand and a lot of times there's like big you know i found big piles of chain like headache balls from a a a crane um, and that can cut the hoses. And so a lot of times we have to go yeah. down there, rig that up, put, pull it up with our crane. Um, we have to do maintenance on everything, um, like changing out the hoses. We do that kind of with another, um, commercial diving company, but it's just a lot of manual labor underwater, um, which could be fun some days, but the days that it's dark and no visibility under there, it gets kind of scary. <laughs> how, how deep are you guys? We're at 80 feet. 80 feet. Okay. Mm-hmm. Got it. Got it. And so are you like full nitrox, like tr- mixed gas stuff or what are you doing? No, we're just breathing air. Yep. Um, and we're usually, you know, not necessarily uh, doing more than 30, 40 minute dives at a time for what we have to do. 
Um, so yeah. Yeah. it's funny because, like, not funny. So it, it's like your normal twenty, like everyday life. It's funny. Like when somebody asks me what I do for work, I'm like, dude, I don't know. I just do this and that. Somebody else might be fascinated, but it's like it's so hard to like talk and get excited about when well, you talk about work. It is because everybody doing, does. This. I've been doing it for so long that I'm like, totally. it's just. Commercial, yeah. it's just commercial diving. Like I don't. What's so yeah. interesting yeah. about it? And so even when I'm describing it, I'm like, are people really going to want to hear that? Like, or even you know what I mean? Does it even sound interesting? It sounds cool to me. Before with that, before with that, if that counts at all. <laughs> Good. So let me ask you then. So commercial diving. I mean, the like, I guess the like the um, women in commercial diving. I mean, what's that like? Is there other women in it? Is it few, far between or talk about that? So the company that I worked for, there wasn't any women. And so I haven't experienced getting to work with another woman commercial diver. Um, I didn't have an issue with it. Like I said, I was, I grew up in groups of guys and you know what you grow up in, you're just kind of used to it. And so I never had an issue. Um, I've dealt with so many dudes just being like who the fuck are you and what are you yeah. doing and you just can't ever take that stuff personally you know you, you learn that whoever's giving you shit or questioning what you're doing it's it's usually you know their insecurity <sighs> not anything you're doing um, yeah. but I still deal with that now yeah, I bet. I bet. It seems like a good, I don't, I only know a couple of guys who do it, but, and so I don't, the world is very foreign to me, but it feels, I mean, kind of a good old boys type of thing, but uh, good for you for having that. Like, uh, well, it's funny. Like, I don't know if you've uh total sidebar here, but like, have you heard of David Goggins? It's a rad book. You'd love it. You would, you would love it. Love it. Love it. It's insane. Anyway, this guy's done like Navy SEALs, all these different things. He's done Ultraman. He's just this incredible guy. But part of his thing is like callous your mind. Your, your hands get calloused when you do all this hard work, right? It means you're like learning, you're getting better. But when you can callous your mind, stuff like that, which is what you're saying, it doesn't even matter, you know, so you can live this really happy life. But anyway, I like what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I go off these tangents like you can see. All right. So day-to-day, -day, you're in the ocean a lot. Fun stuff, work stuff, sometimes fun, sometimes like every job is just a job. Um, but you've also been able to sneak in some travel and I'm just scanning through Instagram randomly and talk about some of the fun places you've been. Looks like it's warm weather, oh, blue water. Yes. Like, I mean, give, give me some, some ideas are, of where you've been up to. Those are my happy places. I am supposed to live around the equator. Like I don't sunburn. I like warm water. I hate <laughs> yeah cold water, which is partly why I hate white sea bass diving, but <laughs> Same here. I've gone, uh, I've gone on more surf trips places than spear fishing trips. But the last year I got to go down to Cabo. Um, I've been to La Paz and that was awesome. Like getting to dive in blue water and, and seeing the different fish they have there and not having to wear, getting to wear, getting to wear a three mil wetsuit or even just a top, um, yep you just, it's like a whole nother level of feeling free. So magical. So where you also the Bahamas too, like what's your favorite place you've been? Would you say? Ooh, that's hard. I still haven't been in the South Pacific yet, so I can't check that box off, but I loved wait for spearfishing or just in general. Uh, just, yeah. For in general to the Menawai islands in Indonesia. Oh, really? Um, 
that was for a surf trip called like in 2005 and six. And I, I spearfished a little bit, but it's just that place was magical before it got super crowded. Oh, geez. Would you get any big fish on there? I bet you did. We got a Spanish mackerel on rod and reel and the boys let me reel it in. So that was fun. Oh, and a big Trevally. Big old giant one. I think I saw a picture of that on Instagram. And that was really fun. Oh yeah. That's cool. That's cool. All right. So you have like a boat, you have surfboards, you have spear guns, everything else in between. I'm guessing you also have your own personal set of scuba gear. So my room looks like a dive shop. Yeah, I bet. I bet. And so I'm one of these people who like forms these really weird, like emotional attachments with gear. Not a lot of it, but sometimes you have this special piece of gear. You're like, I just love this thing because it never lets you down or who knows what. Do you have any couple pieces of gear that you just kind of, you'd retire, you'd hang on the shelf before you got rid of it? So not necessarily that exact thing, but I have essential gear that I literally cannot live without. Um, One of those is my surfer jacket, my surfer parka. Those I I've gone offshore once without that. And I would, I was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. Um, that is like one of the most essential pieces of offshore gear, whether I'm going spearfishing, whether I'm working, whether I'm going surfing, it, it's just a lifesaver. Um, then there's this company called night eyes and anyone that's been on the boat around me knows I have these things everywhere. They have these gear ties, um, that I, I could not live without. I use it for the same thing. I use it anything for everything. Um, so night I don't know. Eyes. How do you spell that? Was N-I-T-E-I-Z-E. N-I-T-E-I-Z-E. And oh, then they're called gear ties. And I have every size from their like little three inch to 64 inch um, thing. And I oh. literally use them for everything like work, boat, gear. Um, they're amazing. But when I was younger, I used to get really attached to like a single surfboard. And I always like the first night I got a new board, I had it like sleep in my bed with me. <laughs> Before or after you waxed it? Before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, new surfboards are the best. I mean, new every new anything's great. I like the, I have a really weird thing with new wetsuit smell. Like the Ooh, beautiful, pristine rubber smell. Is Before just, you pee in it. Yeah, it's oh, so nice. <laughs> what? So, what are you doing now? Like, you've probably gone through dozens of wetsuits, and you're like a—I mean, you're like a—you could be like a professional just gear tester because all the, the gnarly stuff you're doing and just putting things through its paces. So, what? 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 Free diving? What? What's your gear now? Like, what wetsuit are you diving with when you're spearfishing? I like what wetsuit do I use? Yeah, right now? Um, I have to polo brand? sub wetsuits um i've been using that they make a good they're girls it's kind of hard that when i first started spearfishing i just had guys extra small wetsuits and they never really fit but i had never tried a woman's suit and so finally i got a um a woman's suit and it was just a night and day difference um my old my old suit was a custom apnea and that thing i just i had to retire i didn't want to but i was like okay this is this yeah. needs this needs to be retired, and then I got a polo sub, and the polo sub women's suits fit me really well. Oh, that's awesome! I know I, I milked this. That was just a total off the rack. Uh, 
JBL suit that I got five years ago, but it just fit perfect. And I just loved it. And the, and the ass tore and I fixed that and the crotch tore and I fixed that. And I'm like, you know what, this thing's going to tear again. And like, I just can't be flaring around. So I might have to retire this thing, but it hurt my soul. I'm like, I love this suit, but it just oh, yeah. came out. <laughs> so what do you got lined up? Like what's the next bit, anything cool, fun? I know we're kind of kind of semi lockdown mode where there's not a lot of travel coming up, but I mean, any, any, anything cool you're spocking next few months or year ish. I'm hoping, like I said, this year I've probably I've spearfished less this summer than I have since I started, you know, usually every summer I'm going out like a bare minimum once a week. Um, so I'm just trying to get on a, just on some local trips with my friends. Like I've been invited by all my normal crews that I love going out with and I've, you know, had work every time. And so just trying to get, um, get some good weather conditions and go, you know, to San Clemente or go down to the Coronados or out to Cortez or even up to Anacapa and hit all those spots and possibly thinking about a Baja trip in the end of October. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, good luck with all that. And I'm sure I'll be continuing to see more pictures of you slaying fish posted on Instagram (laughs) of that. I'm sure. I hope so. Did you get any sea bass this year? I did not. I didn't. It's right near by, so. <laughs> <laughs> but I suck at sea bass hunting, so that's not really saying much. I'm used to uh, not getting any. <laughs> you know what? I do too. I don't know what it is. I've tried. I've had. That's another thing. I've been really lucky to have people that really like enjoy giving me advice and helping me. And I soak yeah. that up. There's a lot of people that are like, yeah. no, 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 I'll learn myself. I'm like, no, no, no. People that I, I, anytime someone knows more than me, I'm like, I tell me and I will soak it up like a sponge. Yeah. And, um, I've had everyone tell me their techniques and I've tried all of them and I don't know what it is. Like, I know the days that I'm being loud. I'm like, okay, maybe that's why I haven't seen one, but I know the days I am stealthy as fuck swimming through the yeah. kelp. And, I still don't see one. Yep. <gasps> and then your buddy comes back. He's like, I just turned the corner and I was like tied up in the kelp and there was one just sitting there looking at me. So I shot yeah. it. Like you're like, yeah. <laughs> or, or they're like, oh, the first drop of the day and there was one right in front of me. Or like, oh yeah, I was yeah. just swimming out and it was sleeping yeah. in five feet of water. I'm like, yeah, okay, right. cool. I haven't seen that yet. That hasn't happened to me. No. no, not even close. But it does happen. That's one thing I kind of realized this past trip. Um, me, look, me being from Santa Cruz, we don't, there are sea bass, but I mean, it's murky as shit anyway. And they only come, they're more ghosty here than, well, I shouldn't say more ghosty than anywhere else. Cause I don't know. Um, but to then go down to Santa Cruz Island where it's like, there's some yellowtail or some sea bass. And like my first, I just got in the water and you've probably had this too. It's like, it's this funny thing where you're like, you don't need to be in the water for an hour to expect to see a fish. Like, no. You need to expect it the first second you're in there. Like, and that was, that was that I think I told you, I saw this school. It's like, I jumped in, kicked over from the boat to the kilt bed at Bone Point. I'm like, okay, here I am. All right, let's get ready. You know, it was too late. There goes five right there. And I wasn't even like mentally, what? And I swung and it was way too late. I wasn't like even focused. And then, like, that I, my buddy Mike, he always he shoots fish every time he gets in the water. <laughs> Just jump the waters. Like, oh, there they are. Bam. And yeah. He was ready, you know? It's like, but that's part of the whole learning curve. So when you're with people who know how to do it, you definitely are like, dude, tell me. Tell me. I'm a sponge right oh, now. Oh, yeah. 
And that's, yeah, I think that goes back to another thing about the ocean is that it, what I was talking about earlier is that it's changing every time you go. So you jump in and you have to be ready and like, you know, paying attention to, are there fish like coming by right now to check me out or like which way, way is the current going or what are the fish doing? And like, you're constantly having to, to assess, you know, your, your environment and kind of learn from there. And I think that's like the other interesting part of it, you know, along with everything changing, you're always learning and you're always like, you know, mentally stimulated, like paying attention to, to, to the yeah. environment and seeing yeah. what the fish are doing. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. And that's, I love that so much. And it's, I've had this discussion in many different ways and I think you realize it too, is that like the ocean doesn't care if you have a good time or not. There might be a day when there's this great huge fish or here's this perfect wave. And then there's many other days where it's like, you're like kind of feeling lucky to get back to the boat and even luckier that you all got in safe, you know? So, Mm -hmm. I mean, for you having, you spend so much time like recreationally and professionally in the water. I mean, any scary stories you can relate that you'd like to share? Yeah, one thing I'll I'll never ever take the oceans like what's the word I'm thinking about? It's it's strength for granted. Um or just or just the changing conditions. You know, you, you a lot of people are, I think don't ever really think about that. They're like, "Oh, I can handle." But it it humbles you and puts you in your place so fast that I, I you know, I never, I never pay attention to that. But yeah, I've had some sketchy, sketchy things happen out on the rigs or just um, encounters with sea life that I don't particularly care for. <laughs> Sharks, are you talking, talking about? Well, that actually my actual first shark encounter of all the time I'm I, the amount of time I've spent underwater compared to other people. Everyone's like, "Oh, yeah. shark encounter!" I'm like, "No, I, yeah. I've never seen a big shark. I've seen like juvenile great whites surfing out here, but they're little little guys." Yeah. Um, I had my first shark encounter July 18th. That was the uh, Neptune's Blue Water Meet, and the viz was not good. And I had a large, full-on adult mako come analyze what i was and i didn't particularly enjoy that <laughs> oh fully scope you out oh yeah it's big black eyeball was no locked on to me yeah how far away like it was a couple feet or what no, no no it was probably like 10 12 feet i knew it was the viz was really bad that day but i knew it was close because i could see detail um yeah. and i knew with the how the viz was that it had to be at a somewhat decent distance to to see detail on it yeah. Yeah. So we saw it in the gloom and then you're like, Oh, that's a big thing. I'm guessing then you made out the shape. You're like, it's a shark. When you know, realized it was a Mako, were you like kind of relieved it wasn't a no. white shark? No, or no, 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 no. It didn't no. Even matter because this thing was big. Opposite. Yeah. Um. So the Viz was bad that day, but I, I got on the um, blacksmith bait and they were all walled up. The current was going, the like everything was lined up for yellowtail. And I kept making drops because I kept seeing the bait, bait spook. And I'm like, oh, my mm. God, a big school of yellows are going to come in. I just have to be patient. Just keep making drops. And so I was on the surface doing a breathe up. And before every drop, I, you know, like kind of lift my eyes up and scan the surface just to make sure they're not up on the surface. Well, the sun was like way in front of me. And I like looked up and I saw this like big black shadow in front of me. And I couldn't really make it make it out because like I said, the sun was behind it. And so it was silhouetted. And so as I was looking at it, it was coming closer to me. And then it broadsided me, you know, about 10, 12 feet away. And then from there, it was like, 
I don't even know the time frame, but I just remember my eyes going down the shark, like analyzing its body shape and figuring out what it was. And then going from its head to its tail and then going back and locking on its eyeball and just feel like I could just feel it looking at me. Oh my God. So I stuck my gun out and swam at it and it swam away. Uh, You know, it was just processing food or not. It's like, do I take a bite of this thing or not? It's so (laughs) funny because one of our other friends, Chris Oaks, has had so many shark encounters. And, you know, you you talk about it all the time because we're in the ocean with good sized sharks everywhere we're diving. And so in my head, I've always said, okay, if... I've just gone over it in my head so many times. If I, if I shark comes up on me, I have to swim at it. If I panic and swim away, it's going to, you know, come charge you. And so I did and it swam away. And then I started swimming really fast for my friend's boat. And then I'm like, Oh shit, I don't want to, you know, create more, you know, (laughs) more turbulence in the water. And I'm like, all all the rod and reel guys I know have said, told me how spazzy and and aggressive Makos are. And so I was actually more scared that it was going to come back and be like, what? What was that thing that just made me swim away? Yeah. I'm like, I'm bigger than it. I'm going to come back at it. And so I was like, ter- yeah, terrified that it was going to come back and charge me and the shitty viz and try not to move too fast, but wanting oh, yeah. me to get to the boat really fast. <laughs> so. It's funny. Like some people are sharky and some aren't. Like I have friends who are like, oh, I saw a shark. Oh, I saw a shark, like paddling or whatever. Like I saw a shark and up here, like where you are, it's like, there's, there's a lot of juvenile white sharks, but there's a lot of big ones, you know? And, and I've been up here forever, dove, you name it. And I've never even seen one. I've had people say, oh, there, I saw one next to you. I saw one behind you. I've never seen them. Like some, I just never, ever see them. Yeah. But, well, that's probably a good thing. It is. But like, I want to see one, man. Like I want to be, I want to, I want my own shark story. Like I don't have a shark story, you know? Well, I got, I checked my box off. I don't need another one. <laughs> yeah, I know. Huh? Oh, well, hopefully. I'm sure we'll have another one at some point, but uh, hopefully be at a good, a good outcome. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Brooke, I've had a ton of fun listening to you and I could sit here and talk spear gun tactics and everything else for hours and hours. But uh, I just want to say thanks for sharing with us today. And uh, I just love what you're doing. I'm so stoked that I had a chance to surf with you and who knows, hopefully again, I'll get a chance to get out in the water and uh, I don't know, maybe get a dive and a fish or something. That would be awesome. Thank you for having me on here. Yeah, my pleasure. And uh, yeah, good luck. Be safe and everything. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to another podcast episode. Can't do without you. If you like what you heard, would really appreciate you sharing the podcast with people you know who might enjoy the stories that we hear and the guests we have on. And of course, even better, reduce plastic, do something good for the ocean and for each other. Thanks again. We'll catch you on the next episode.